Welcome to the How To Dad podcast. My name is Devin Pierce. We are live on Mixer. You can come find us here every Sunday if you're watching this on the YouTube replay. If you guys follow me on Twitter, it'll keep you up to date on what's going on. It is, of course, episode 8. The date is April 28th, 2019. And I find it a bit of a coincidence that we have episode 8 on a 28th date it's cool i don't know why i just really like that i think it's awesome today's topic is raising resilient children this is a stage two in this little mini series that we have going on we talked back on march 24th about the foundation for resiliency which was episode three. If you have seen that episode, you'll know that that episode comes from the readings of a bounce back book. And this is this week's. Doesn't have nearly as cute of a picture thing going on here. The theme is definitely bouncy balls. Instead of those cute little critters. This book takes where the last one left off and is ages two, three, and four. The next stage in the series is five and up. And we'll get around to that sometime in May, I'm thinking, although forewarning you guys, there will be probably a weekend in May that we don't have a show as I'm gonna be in Texas for a geocaching event. As I mentioned in the previous episode, we talked about how these books are published by the Alberta Mental Health Board, whose information on these books is no longer relevant, or wasn't on that previous book. This one has a different website, actually. I missed that. AlbertaHealthServices.ca All one word, nothing fancy about it. So... I didn't check into that. I'm hoping that's the correct information for them now. The last time we touched on the topic of resiliency, we answered the who, what, when, where, why, and how of resiliency, and we defined it. As a bit of a refresher, we defined it for these lessons as a person's ability to bounce back from or react positively when things don't go the way we hope them to. What I really enjoyed about this particular book, and perhaps it'll be like that in the next one too, but in this one in particular, they have like in the second page, I thought it was the first page, it was actually the second page, a whole segment just talking about self-care, which we did talk about in the first uh, episode there, or third episode there. And we've mentioned it a couple of times since then. If you don't take care of yourself to ensure you can be resilient, you can't be the role model your kids need for that, right? And I thought it was really great of them to put that at the front page of this, even including links to their website and ideas as to how to maintain your own personal well-being 
and how to seek help if you need it. Uh, from that list, also, one of the things I wanted to make sure point out and put in my notes for tonight is if you need to arrange for a babysitter, then do so. There is nothing wrong with working that into your budget so that you can have some time with you and your spouse or even for you and your spouse to go do things that you want to do on your own. So that being said, though, I think we're definitely going to have to do either specifically a dad's class episode or perhaps another episode here on the podcast that will specifically deal with the topic of self-care. Um, or even better yet, perhaps we should do an episode on budgeting, which I feel definitely fits better into the dad's class YouTube channel than it does the how to dad podcast. Um, for those of you who are curious, I did earlier today spend time organizing my notes, which were previously in this blue book here as well as a random receipt my toddler brought to me happen to have some <laughs> show notes ideas for the channel. And it is my hope, fingers crossed, to get some recordings done and get some new content published in the coming weeks. Um, be sure to follow me on Twitter. That is at CrownSO, C-R-O-W-N-E-S-S and the number zero as I do tend to post when new things go live on the YouTube channel there. And that's probably your best way at this time to know right away when I start publishing new content. Unless, of course, you subscribe to the YouTube channel and you have dinged the little bell and are part of the notification squad. Which, if you are, thank you. You're an early adopter of the program and I appreciate you endearingly. I don't feel like that's actually the right word for what I was trying to say. Anyways, I appreciate you if you are a subscriber to the channel. If you follow me here on Mixer, which I saw we have a couple of new followers in the last week, so thank you guys for coming and checking out the podcast. If you do come join me in the Mixer podcast live streams, by the way, we do have the chat bot fully working. Um, and he has a bunch of different... Uh, quotes set into him now that you can get out of him as well as other links by using the commands that he suggests. This particular version of the Bounce Back book, to get back on topic here, is broken into four parts. And each of those four parts are then broken down into the three individual age brackets of two, three, and four years. That's not to say if your child is or that you can't do the activities that it suggests for a two-year-old, or even vice versa if you think your kid is ready for it. These are merely some guidelines and uh, suggestions, right? So if you are only just starting to teach your child resiliency and encouraging that aspect of their personal growth, perhaps maybe you start at the lower levels and work yourself up to the age bracket that's more appropriate for them. You do you. With every episode in the show, we seem to be following a similar format of where I'm going to first start off by describing what we're going to talk about by its definition, and then how it relates directly to what we're talking about. 
So the four segments that we're going to talk about, we're going to break those down. Starting with self-confidence. Self-confidence is a feeling of trust in one's abilities, qualities, and judgment. And how that looks for the purpose of our reading today is a strong realistic belief, emphasis on realistic belief in a child's abilities that helps them cope with challenges, take risks, and get along with others. The second section of this topic is going to be on problem solving. By definition, this is the process of finding solutions to difficult or complex issues. The way we're going to use it here in the book is in that it is the way in which we work through life's difficulties and challenges, a process in which decisions are made, conflicts are solved, and stresses are handled. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that because I did it on mobile for my notes, I missed a lot of grammatical errors, so probably not the first time I'm going to have to try something again. The third one is emotional regulation, which is defined as the ability to respond to the ongoing demands of experience with the range of emotions in a matter that is socially tolerable and sufficiently flexible to permit spontaneous reactions as well as the ability to delay those reactions as necessary. That's a really complicated definition as far as I'm concerned, but that's what I pulled up. Yay, Google. How we look at emotional regulation with regards to children. The ability to label, recognize, and control emotions instead of being overwhelmed by them knowing how to act appropriately and responsibly to emotional triggers. And I feel it's important to mention that emotional understanding varies quite drastically from year to year and from child to child. So based off of your child's age, their emotional regulation is also going to change quite a bit as they gain more experience with those emotions. The fourth and final component to today's topic is going to be empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand or share the feelings of another. When we relate that to children in these topics, it is the key of building healthy, stable, and solid relationships through acts of compassion or sympathy, kindness, and caring for the needs and views of others. Next up, we're going to jump into activities for each of the age groups under each of those four topics. And this might run a little long for today's episode, but we'll see. It took me a lot longer to write the notes for this than I was expecting. But I think we're doing pretty good on time. Your child's temperament as to if they're quiet and sensitive or loud and courageous can affect how they learn and the best ways to be taught. So be sure to consider those things when you're looking at these or other activities to encourage your child's resiliency. 
and trying to pick, you know, what suits their unique personality traits rather than just assuming that these specific things are going to work for that child. And to help keep the episode from running too long, I've picked and chosen ones I preferred over all the items in every list. Also, as a case in point, some of them only had one option, so, you know, balance it out. We're going to start with self-confidence. A general point towards self-confidence is giving a child the opportunity for both trial and error with age-appropriate decision-making, uh, free play, and genuine specific praise and acknowledgement of their skills or abilities. For children ages two and up, my number one pick is Dance, Dance, Dance. Get the music going, dance with your child, sing along with the songs, or even dress up if that's how you feel like doing it. But let your children take the lead. Let them be the lead singer or the lead guitarist in their little air band alongside you. Or even give them the musical dial to pick songs and musical genres that they want to listen to. Even if it's not your cup of tea, just bear with them. This opportunity helps children develop their individual interests, their competencies, but because of the free willy-nilly nature of it, it protects them from stress. It's not a life or death decision for them to pick this song or that song. They just get to do what they want. We actually have a uh, karaoke machine for our five-year-old. So far, she has five songs that she wants to listen to and sing along with, but slowly, as we introduce her to more music, she is expanding her horizons. She likes songs mostly from women that have a lot of sass, attitude, and probably not all the lyrics being entirely appropriate for her age. But, uh, Try to balance that out with Disney songs whenever possible. Second suggestion for this age group is a wall of fame. Designate a specific location to adorn with your child artworks, crafts, photographs, awards, or certificates. You know, a special place to recognize their accomplishments. We actually have three or four magnetic frames. And at the last house, that's what we were trying to use them for. It didn't always work out because life. But it's definitely something I would like to get back into the habit of doing. Though my children have not brought me any artwork recently. The reason for this is that this helps you and the child recognize their accomplishments and it also gives them the motivation from you as you compliment their accomplishments 
Compliment accomplishments. Compliment accomplishments. Just sounds funny. And the successes help motivate the child on their own because it's up on their special wall. It is a success and that itself can motivate them to continue to add to their special wall or bulletin board or whatever you happen to choose for your particular child's needs. Children at age three. Four seasons of fun. So finding outdoor activities to enjoy regardless of the time of year. In the springtime, things like flying a kite or jumping in some puddles, even planting a garden, which we're doing for the first time this year with our kids once the snow melts. If you follow me on Twitter, you will have seen us drinking coffee outside yesterday with about seven or eight inches of snow on the ground, fresh fallen overnight. It's April 28th, if you forgot from the beginning of this episode. Yay, Alberta weather. In the summertime, running through a sprinkler, having a picnic, or building a sandcastle. Those are some great activities. When you get into the fall months, raking up and jumping into leaves or going for a wagon ride or playing a game of catch it's a long process of learning how to catch a ball which i never really realized until i tried to teach a kid before it's a really steep learning curve worse for others than some but nonetheless in the winter go tobogganing skating or maybe even try your hand at skiing with your kids definitely pay for a professional to teach that one unless you're really good at it because they know what they're doing making snow angels or building snowmen are just a few other activities that you can do with your toddler and there's so much more you can do every season that was the big focus for this particular building of self-confidence. If you have any questions about any of those activities and how they relate to that, be sure to shoot me a message. Children at age four. Widening the circle, make a point to visit extended family and get them involved in asking them to tell you and your child uh, stories about their life, such as where they grew up or their favorite toys as a child. Hobbies are another good one. Um, I don't know why I'm stuttering so much. I have notes. You think I just read and not twist over my own tongue, but apparently not. You can also get them to talk about things they've learned from other family members or even their own parents if it's not your same parents, or maybe they learn something different. I don't know. And in the cases where you've moved across the country and you don't really have extended family, sending them cards or using a video call so your children can still establish a relationship with the extended family are really good points. And if your family sends them letters, be sure to read those letters out loud to your children or read along with them, you know, following with the finger to help build that connection and also 
for more personal relationships, building those with the, your neighbors or close family friends that live nearby to you. At this age also, the four-year-olds is where we start to see the natural progression and establishment of basic fears. It's totally normal for toddlers and preschoolers to develop fears from time to time. They can be real, they can be imaginary, and you can help them through that. And that's really all you can do and all you should do. Um, giving them reassurance without acting overly concerned. Oh my god! Yeah, don't, don't do that. Now, with information, you can overcome fear. By providing your child with the information that they need to understand what they are afraid of, 90% of the time, that's all a person needs to see through a fear. It might not cure them of a fear, but it'll definitely keep them from having an irrational fear about something. And be sure not to dismiss fears such as saying, you know, don't be silly, there's nothing to be afraid of. If they feel there's something to be afraid of, then there's something to be afraid of. You can't tell a person how they feel. I'll be honest with you, I am terrible at that. I am often informed that I try to do that to people, to try to tell them how they feel. But you cannot actually know 100% how someone feels. Check yourself, as they say. Provide your child with the support they need to learn to cope with that fear and move on from it. That's a really big one. Like I said, don't discourage it. Help them through it. Third point I have for this one is to let your child make choices, which is something we discussed in previous episodes here on the show and how you give them a minor choice so you still get the outcome you desire but they got to pick the details kind of thing such as do you want a green or a yellow shirt not do you want a shirt you don't even have to just let them pick shorter long sleeves you know simple decisions so that they feel like they're being entrusted with making a decision which helps build their self-confidence and this jumps us right into problem solving. To help your child with problem solving, choices like the ones I just mentioned are a great starting point. Because then they have to decide, well, should I wear short sleeves? Should I wear long sleeves? If I wear a yellow shirt, will that clash with my green pants? In my personal experience, girls will ask themselves that question, not so much boys. But not all girls. Some girls are just really in tune with fashion at a young age. Until they're not. I, my daughter's been making some questionable fashion choices at times lately. 
But then other ones, you're like, oh, that's really well picked out. Great. I look like an awesome parent right now, even though I had nothing to do with your chosen attire. <laughs> Providing consistent limits to your child, such as when we discussed establishing structure in a home and discipline earlier on in the show, or in the series of the show, I should say. Allows you, the child to understand that there are predictable consequences for their actions. And this goes back to when we discussed previously about having them help you establish the rules of your house, as well as the consequences for breaking those rules. This helps set them up to understand A leads to B, leads to C, leads to A, and so on and so forth. Be sure to offer help to a problem before it's too frustrating and causing the child emotional distress. If you see that they're starting to struggle with something, monitor that so you can intervene before it becomes too much of a problem. An emotion, overly emotional child cannot logically process a problem. And at this young age, we are still teaching them to rely on their logic instead of the instinct of their emotions. Give them hints or even the actual solution if you feel it's necessary. Coaching th children through the basic steps of problem solving will look something like, you know, the first thing you want to do is acknowledge how they're feeling. Labeling an emotion so that they can process how to deal with it and express that it is okay to have these feelings like such as being mad but it's not okay to hit other people because you're mad especially when it's a situation that doesn't call for you to defend yourself which should be the only time anybody's hitting anybody personal opinion define what the actual problem is such as Bobby wants to play with the toy Billy's got. Okay, well, why don't we ask Billy if he can share it with you after he's done? Nope. I jumped ahead of myself here. Before you go suggesting how to fix the problem, invite the children or child who are having the problem to give their own solutions first. If they're having trouble, then make your suggestion also, try multiple suggestions until you find something that works. If the first suggestion doesn't work, try something different. And be sure to praise your child for the efforts both in coming up with a solution as well as following through with those solutions. Even if you have to do them multiple times or different ones. Because we're trying to encourage them to follow those steps, come to the solution and go to the solution instead of acting on emotion. Now onto the activities that are going to educate your children. Children at age two. This one I really enjoyed reading as when I started reading it, I was like, well, how is this a twist? because it was kind of poorly worded to begin with in the book. 
but I actually really like how they've done this. Hide and seek with a twist. Instead of the child or yourself hiding, you hide a child's toy, giving them clues, kind of like hot and cold. But let's say I stuff Stitch here in my background behind the couch cushion. That's also behind me here. I wouldn't tell the child, go find it, it's hidden over there. I have hidden a blue stuffed animal behind something that is soft and cushiony. Knowing where your child's kind of at in logical deduction, you can adjust the clues you're giving them to make it harder or easier for them to let them find the solution or challenge them a little bit more. But I thought this was a really great way to do this and makes it easier to do if you have one child or even multiple children who can then work together as a team. Or perhaps you hide multiple objects, one for each child to find. I really enjoyed how this one gave you just a, a simple idea and how there's so many different ways you could expand on that in your parenting to teach your kids different things. So be sure to try that one. I think that one's pretty awesome. Children at age three. Little Shopper. Using a grocery flyer, if you're in an area that still makes flyers or uses them, as they seem to be going the wayside, Cut out and or highlight items from your shopping list that you're going to go shopping for anyways. Give the highlighted or cut out images for your child to then do like a scavenger hunt when you go shopping with them. So your child goes in the store, they have their list, they have a shopping cart. Or if they're too short to push one, they just use yours. They go and they find the items on their photographed or highlighted list added to the cart and be sure to praise them for successfully completing each task because some of those things aren't always necessarily easy to find given that your child's only this tall right like three feet sometimes they might not see something because it's way up top so especially give them props for those ones children at age four Take a turn storytelling. That's the name of that one, by the way. It's not just a sentence. Invent a story with your child by taking turns, adding sentences or pieces of a sentence, parts of a story, using funny voices to make it even more fun if you're up to it. And what that looks like as an example is the parent says, every morning he would get up. And then the child responds with, and he eats his breakfast. Another way you can do this is asking an open-ended question such as, but then what did he do next? And then the child responds and you build up on that to create the story. We do a slight variation of this with our children or my spouse does actually. And then she has these little rhymes about how much she loves the children 
and she says a piece of it, and the child will say the next piece of it, and then she'll say the next piece of it, until they've built up the whole little quote. It's really cute. But we could be expanding on that and doing this take a turn storytelling, right? So I thought that one was a good one to bring up today. On to the next one. Emotional regulation. This one is more so, but they all kind of are strongly dependent on the role of the parent-child relationship. And how emotional regulation is modeled by the adults in the child's life. Um, the better you do, or other adults do, the better job your child can do because they have a good example of how to do it. Children at age two. Cookie faces. This activity, you decorate a series of cookies showing different emotional expressions. Some happy, some sad, some mad, whatever the case may be. Then you discuss and recognize those emotions, or get your child to recognize them, rather, as you eat the cookies. You get a fun snack. You get to enjoy a small little activity. Oh, what face is this cookie making? It's an angry face. Hmm. Well, it'll look much happier chewed up and in our belly. Children at age three. Bubble breathing. They actually call it different in the book, but that's what it breaks down to. Using bubbles, or the act of blowing bubbles rather, as a basic breathing exercise to calm down really angry or frustrated child. Even an excited child, telling them that they can't blow the bubbles or play with the bubbles until they've brought themselves down from a heightened state of emotion. And then using the process of the bubbles to bring them all the way down. So you take them through the steps. Right? We're going to get the bubble stick with bubble liquid. You're going to take a nice, steady breath in. And you're going to blow out gently. But not too gently. There's a fine line there. You're going to blow out lots of bubbles. Nice, steady breath out. And you're going to get more soap on there and do it again. And you're coaching them through the breathing process is your main emphasis here but they get the reward of the bubbles. I thought this was a pretty creative idea. With our kids, the breathing technique that we always have done was actually inspired by a chance encounter at a school. Uh, instructor happened to have some sort of contraption that expanded and contracted as you pull on the ends and push them back in. And we, so we use that visualization of the opening and closing of the bubble, the expanding and compressing of this giant bubble for our kids. And we've used that, especially with my older boy there. And working together to 
move that bubble and get her breathing under control and bring her emotions under control. Children at age four. This is another name that's confusing. There is no food involved in this. Animal Crackers. This game is actually a twist on the classic freeze tag. At the beginning of your game, the child picks an animal that they want to be representing in the game, such as a dog or an elephant or whatever their favorite animal may be. And then once that child is tagged by the person who is it, they have to act out an emotion as the animal they picked. So if they picked a cat, they then have to act like an angry cat or a happy cat or a sad cat or grumpy cat. I'm so funny. <laughs> and then they can be unfrozen. Be sure people are taking turns with who's it so everybody gets a chance to play. On to empathy. Empathy is another characteristic that, though like I said, all of them really are, influenced by the role models in a child's life. So it's up to you to set the example and to recognize in yourself if this is something you need to improve on so that you can be a better example going forward. The activities for empathy for children at age two include feelings, feelings everywhere. I don't know why I said it like that. I really don't. But I enjoyed it. When reading a book with your children, take the time to suggest the emotions that characters in the book might be feeling. Whether you can visually see it on their faces or just from actions that have happened, guesstimate what they might be feeling. And be sure to explain how you concluded that Bobby was sad in the story because Billy broke his favorite toy. Well, if somebody broke my favorite toy, I feel pretty sad. So I bet Bobby's also feeling very sad. The description as to how you came to that conclusion is the real teacher in that class or lesson, I guess, in my opinion. So be sure to encourage that and then work with your children to help them deduce their own conclusions from the following pages, especially once you get into the habit of doing this. You want them to take the reins on it. At age three, Empathy is kind of a weird thing, and continue on with what we talked about for age two in reading the books that way. In age three, you can include your children into household chores. Now, I fully intend on doing an episode in the future about the various age-appropriate chores. However, suggestions from this particular reading include feeding your family pet, watering the plants, setting a table, cleaning up their toys, or putting dirty laundry in their hamper. When you introduce chores to your children, be sure to explain that this is how they are helping the family, how they're helping you, or the primary household person, 
you still have that traditionalist aspect to your home and how every person in the family kind of does different things to help the whole family do better. This teaches your child empathy by focusing on the needs of others, like we mentioned previously in the description. Age four. Having a picture party. That's like camera picture or drawing picture. Invite a couple of your child's friends over. Uh, you can purchase or make some inexpensive popsicle sticks photo frames, which I can actually show you a couple here. I have, for our audio listeners to understand, two pictures. One of my son and one of my daughter. It's four popsicle sticks glued together in a rectangular shape. Their pictures are then taped onto the back. One, my son colored the individual popsicle sticks. My daughter picked a color and then picked random puzzle pieces and glued them on for the hers. And her little poster says, I love you to pieces. It's very funny and I appreciate that very much. So, at this picture party, you take pictures of the kids or have the kids draw pictures of each other. Then the kids each pick the pictures that they like the most to frame. If you get the cheap wooden frames or bailed the popsicle frames, they can decorate themselves, much like these ones here. And this simple activity helps to foster relationships with others by encouraging healthy interactions by engaging in the picture-taking process or the posing as one draws another one. And then to help decorate the pictures, pick which photos that they like, and encouraging the kids to take pictures of each other to then establish in their homes who their friends are. This is my friend so-and-so, I have his picture here. This is my other friend so-and-so, I have his picture here. Relationships, man, they're important. And if your child doesn't have good relationships with other people, they can't really practice or improve upon their own ability to empathize with other people. I felt like that one needed a little bit more explanation. Well, guys, we're coming up to the end here. My final thoughts on this topic. There is a number of factors which influence an individual's ability to be resilient. And some of them may be slightly outside of your control, such as, you know, where you grew up or the conditions of that or the conditions in which you lived. However, these skills for resiliency aren't limited to those influences. And people or children with good resiliency skill sets have the ability to control the reaction to those negative events as well as their attitude towards ongoing problems in their lives. In addition to controlling their reactions or their attitudes, children who have better resiliency skills 
in the long run will have more confidence to seek help from others in their times of need. And we are seeing as a society whole that a lot of people aren't willing to make themselves vulnerable enough to get help when they need it. And that's a resiliency issue. According to the reference material in this book, it says here that most children who are resilient often only have a single parent or caregiver who taught them the necessary skills of resiliency. So it only takes one good role model. As with many things, you as their parent are typically their primary role model. There will be other people in their lives that help shape your children. Uh, the whole aspect of it takes a village, right? It's not just any one person, but all the people that help influence a child. However, they only need one good role model to learn good resiliency skills. And we talked about good role models in almost all four of these points. And we know for a fact from other topics that we've had on the show that the role model, one good role model, is key to teaching your children all the things that they need to know. But the more role, but the more role models they have, the better your child is off in the long run. If they have two or three or four or six amazing people in their lives who are going out of their way to show them how to be great people, they're going to be six times as great as those six people. You're giving them all the things they need to be a better person than you. And that is really what your goal as a parent often is when you sit down and think about it. I have to stop myself because I was about to go into a tangent about a loosely related topic there. And I'm sure we'll have an episode on that in the future as well. But for now, we're going to save that for another show. This week's question, guys, who was your primary role model? That one major person in your life growing up that influenced you to be the person you are today. If you have more than one, go ahead and list them. Whether it's down below the bridge where all the trolls live on the YouTube replay comment section. Whether you send me a tweet or send me an email at crownesso. C-R-O-W-E-S-S-O at gmail.com. It's actually the number zero at the end there. I messed that up. You guys can also let me know live in the chat. We are here every Sunday on Mixer, and I'd love to have you guys stop by and have some words with me. Um, to answer my own question, I am one of those lucky people that really have some pretty awesome role models in my life. And it's kind of hard to say I had one. You know, my parents have flaws like anybody because they are human. And even a couple other people that helped shape me or 
different job paths that I've had were definitely good role models. But I would hard, it's really hard to say that any one of them was more influential than the others. So obviously I'd have to say both of my parents. Uh, Mike Tracy and Kenny Kemp are probably my top four role models in my life. But I'm also one of those people who likes to learn from everybody. So I've had a few minor role models, whether they've modeled what not to do or what to do. I've definitely had a lot of really awesome people in my life. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that I have to sit here and think about the answer to this question because that just shows, you know, how good things actually have been for me. And life sometimes gets you down. So it's kind of nice to be reminded of the positive things. Anyways, guys, thanks for watching tonight. This is the How To Dad podcast. I am the owner and host, Devin Pierce. And this podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share... Share like Share like 4.0 International License with all rights reserved. And we are currently available to auditorial listeners through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. It's a long one tonight, guys. Thanks for sticking around. See you next Sunday.